In your name we pray. Amen. I have a question for you. Have you met someone who is extremely talented? When you look at their life um, and what they can do, their scope of their talents is immeasurable. You know, you encounter these people and you look to God and say, are you kidding me? You know, I had a, uh, a friend like this. This guy was good at everything. Like, he could sing like no other. Like he was excellent. Uh, he, uh, he could cook. This guy knew how to cook really well. And you take him to the basketball court and he was good at sports. And I mean, like, no matter what he touched, he excelled at it. Have you ever met someone like that? kind of makes you feel sick when you're around them because you have to work so hard and this guy would never touch a book and he would get all A's. He made me very upset most days and most of you know that I'm a big uh, uh, sports junkie by now and I'm kind of still uh, grieving the loss of Kobe Bryant. Some of you know Kobe Bryant uh, and um, his best friend was sharing a similar story uh, during his um, uh, celebration of his life service. His, uh, his friend was talking about how Kobe Bryant was fluent in foreign languages, uh, how he could, uh, he could pick up anything. He said like he can do anything he wanted to do. And then he told the story that uh, he wanted to surprise his wife, uh, Vanessa. And so he taught himself uh, how to play the piano and he serenaded her. I was like, are you kidding me? Six championships and now you can teach yourself how to play the piano, right? Like you've met those people. How, can I see some hands? All right, if you at home or on Facebook Live, uh, if you can like click a thumbs up if, if that is true for you as well, right? We all encounter these individuals. Even now, I, when I encounter some friends or colleagues of mine and kind of look at the range of their abilities, I look up and say, God, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? We've all done this. This is part of our human nature. This is who we are. That when we have encountered someone who's better than us, who can do things differently, we've felt a little jealous. This morning, I don't want to talk about others, uh, but I want to focus on you. Uh, this morning, I want to ask you this question, and I want you to wrestle with it. The question is, what has God given you? Let's stop worrying and thinking that others have more, that they have more talents, they have more resources. But this morning I wanna focus on you. What has God given you? This is an important question for us to deal with as we uh, study this morning's scripture. Uh, the title of this uh, scripture passage is called, uh, in the New International Version, it says the 10 minas, uh, because each servant was given one minna, and this is something, and they were told to do something with it. And at the end of this morning's sermon, I will hope that you will take a leap of faith with your resources, uh, that you would start this new journey of generosity and giving to God's kingdom. In doing so, friends, I want to tell you, when you do that, you will be blessed. If you trust God with your resources, you will be blessed. This morning's story that was read to us uh, comes to us from the Gospel of Luke. In, in this particular Gospel, this story, this parable is sandwiched in between two 
um, two stories. Um, the one story being uh, Zacchaeus. Um, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. You all know that story, right? Okay. All right. So on the one side, you have Zacchaeus. And the other side of the story, right after the parable ends, is the start of Holy Week. When Zacchaeus uh, encountered Jesus, his view of money completely changed. Jesus, when he encounters Zacchaeus, he never talks about money. But Zacchaeus turns around and tells Jesus that he's going to give away half of his possessions to the poor. And those whom he cheated, he would give back four times. Zacchaeus was the most hated man in all of Israel. And when he encountered Jesus, his view of money completely changed. He did not have the greed. Zacchaeus did not have the greed to accumulate more money. When we read those words, salvation has come to you, Zacchaeus, today. The result of that was Zacchaeus saw the purpose of money differently. And the other side of the story is about, um, the other side of the story is Jesus entering Jerusalem. That's the end of the story, where Jesus is aware of his death, that he is heading into Jerusalem, that he will be handed over to the Romans to be crucified. These two themes surround the parable that we are reading today. One is viewing money and earthly possessions, and the other is end times, the end of Jesus's earthly reign. And in this parable, these two themes come alive. One leads to the other. In the parable, there is conversations about money and the end times as well. One thing is, um, um, one thing to note here uh, is Jesus um, is getting ready to die on the cross and Jesus is telling a story about money. I think it's important for us to talk about money. I think it's important for us to have the right attitude uh, towards uh, money and generosity because I believe that this is paramount to our Christian faith. So in verse 11, this is how it starts, Luke chapter 19, verse 11. You can follow along on your phones, on your Bibles, whatever you're doing. This is what we read. While they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. See, when they were finally done listening to the conversation about Zacchaeus changing his life around and turning his attitude towards money has changed. When they were almost done that conversation and they know that Jesus is heading into Jerusalem, we hear this parable about the ten minutes. When Jesus teaches us in parables, Jesus is using stories that are familiar to his listeners to teach them the importance about the kingdom of God. This is something that we have seen over and over again. Jesus uses things that are familiar to the people to teach them the story uh, about money. Verses 12 and 14 are a little weird. All right, just, just, they're just off. Like when you first read it, you're like, okay, I, th it doesn't make sense. Let me read them to you and please nod if you agree with me. He said, a man of noble birth went to a distant country 
to have himself appointed king and then return. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. How many of you think that makes sense? Eh? Uh, come on, like, I'm not getting anything. It's like not having in-person worship and me talking to an empty fuse. So, all right, come on. Yes? yes? That sounds weird. Thank you. Finally, somebody. Amen. Right? That sounds a little, little weird. This guy is going off to a different place to name himself king in that country. Right? He wants to be called king. He wants to appoint himself as king. But his subjects came and objected that. The whole delegation came after him, not just one guy. It was a whole bunch of people went and said, we don't want this man to be our king. So I wanna place this in context. Remember I was telling you that parables are about what actually happened during Jesus' time. In a, in a next Sunday, we start uh, our Advent. You know, We start getting ready for Christmas uh, and we start telling and hearing the stories of Jesus' birth. And many of you are familiar with King Herod. Right? King Herod uh, was a nasty man. He wanted to do, um, Herod the Great wanted to do everything he can to, uh, to kill baby Jesus. He was so insecure and absolutely um, wanted to live in that power. He had a son. His name was Archelaus. And if you thought King Herod was insecure and cruel, his son was no better. In some instances, he was much worse. So Archelaus, King Herod's son, goes to Rome and wants the Roman emperor to name him King of Judea. And when the people of Judea learn about this, they are up in arms about it. And they go to Rome and they said, no way you're gonna call, give this guy a title called King of Judea. The people objected him and guess what? The people won. All right, let's dial it back a little bit. All right, you know that story now. Okay, let's dial it back, that story. And let me read to you verse 12. The man of noble worth who's going to a distant country to be appointed, but the people objected to that. You see the similarities, right? But then we read this piece. But he was made king anyway. Here Jesus is talking about himself. He's telling the people, remember when a man of noble birth, Herod the great son, he wanted to be named king and people rejected him and he was not given that title, but I am a son of noble birth. I am the son of David, the son of God and son of man. And I came here to this earth to be made king. And yes, some of you are objecting to this, but I will be made king. In some ways, I think Jesus here in this parable is mocking Herod's son. He's saying, you couldn't get it done, but guess what, Archelaus? I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna be made king. So this is important for us. This is the reason uh, we need to be aware of uh, this background information. That's there. And then Jesus starts about uh, talking about what the master did with his servants. And uh, one of the authors that I was following is uh, Arlen Hunter Green. 
And he is kind of my conversational partner as I write this sermon and dig into uh, this sermon. So first I wanna focus on the master here. We identified that Jesus is the master and I wanna tell you what the master did, like just some of the actions that the master did. The master called 10 servants and to each one, he gave them one minna, to each servant. So each servant got one minna. One minna is about a hundred denarii, hundred denarii. And one denarii is worth one day's worth of labor. So each of these servants were given three months worth of income, each servant. 100 days worth of income was given to each one of them. The master gave them. So that day, this master gave out $10,000, 10,000 days worth of income. That is three years and four months worth of income was given out in just one day. How rich is this master? How much money does this guy have that he just blew through three years and four months worth of income in just one instance? But he gives them a very important instruction. Verse 13, we read, put this money to work, he said, until I come back. Put this money to work until I come back. The point that is worth focusing us this morning is each servant was given the same amount of money. No one could accuse one or the other saying, I didn't have enough to make more. Every single servant got the same amount of money. Each person was on the same playing field. The parable focuses on the master saying, go put this money to work each one and then three people come back we focus on three people coming back and kind of giving a report to the master and the first one um, and I don't know why we didn't hear from eight or six we have three so well let's focus on the three the first guy who comes back the master is happy with in verse 17 we read well done my good faithful servant his master replied because you have been trustworthy with a very small matter take charge of 10 cities. Then the second servant comes in and he made a profit as well. He said, master, you gave me one mina and I made it, turned it into five. The first guy turned one into 10. The second guy turned one into five. And to the second guy, the master says, be in charge of five cities. And again, let's focus on the master here. I wanna focus on how generous this master is. Not only did he give 10 minas to 10 servants, that's pretty generous if you think about it. Like just think about it, someone just walking up to you this morning and giving you your three months worth of salary. That's a lot of money, right? Yes, please not, thank you, all right, thank you. Right, that's a lot of money. But here is something that again, we need to focus on. The master, when this guy comes back with 10 minas, and said, you gave me one, and I've turned it into 10. The master gives him 10 cities. Now this person who turned one into 10 has 11. Did you notice that? He has 11 and 10 cities. 
This is a generous, generous master. And the second guy, who turned one into five, has six and five cities. Look at the generosity of this master. Now the third servant comes in. If this were a movie, uh, at this, as the servant entered the room and uh, the master would be sitting there, as soon as this third guy entered, you would hear this background music. Right? That's what you would hear because you know this guy's in trouble. Right? You know this guy is in trouble. It's not going to go well for this servant. This servant was given three months worth of income. Keck Keener, um, a biblical scholar, knows this. Not only was this servant disobedient to the master's command, the master clearly said, put this money to work. But he failed to protect it. If he had given it to the money changers or stored it in the temple or even kept it in a box. But we read that he uh, put it, he wrapped the money and put it in a, in a cloth. The Greek word uh, for this is called either a dish rag or a handkerchief. He takes three months worth of money and wraps it in a dish rag and leaves it in his house. Three months worth of money in a dish rag. That's what this guy did. Keeping money in a dish rag is not a smart thing to do. This slave clearly disobeyed the master's orders while others put the money to work. He kept the money in a dish rag. He played it safe. He played it safe. What if the slave took that money and invested it uh, in some kind of business? What if he, he would have risked a loss? Like what would have happened if he invested this in some kind of um, new start company or whatever, and he lost maybe one month's worth of income? What if he lost two months worth of income? What if he lost all three months worth of income? What would have happened to this guy? We don't know. What would the master do to this guy? We don't know what the master would do, but he would have obeyed the master's command that you were supposed to work with it. The reason this slave is called wicked is because not only was he irresponsible with what he was given, he played it safe. He played it safe. So friends, this morning we come to this juncture and ask the question, what am I supposed to do with this parable? This is a question that I wrestle with every time I encounter the Bible. How shall I live? This morning, I believe the scripture is asking us to consider two questions that we need to examine. First is, I want to go to the opening story that I started with, that we need to stop looking at others and others' talent. We need to stop looking at other people's resources and how much they have. We need to stop comparing ourselves with others because we need to believe that God has given each one of us the right amount of resources. We need to stop comparing ourselves with others. Because God has given each one of us the right amount of resources. 
The second question that I think we need to be confronted with this morning is what is it that we are doing with what we have been given? Are you playing it safe? Are you disrespecting what has been given to you and wrapping it in a cloth and putting it somewhere else? Christian discipleship is not about playing it safe. Christian discipleship is about being generous with our resources. This is a biblical mandate. Friends, I want to tell you that Christian and I have practiced generous living and we have experienced God's many blessings. Just yesterday I was talking to um, John, um, Jason, and we were kind of reminiscing and sharing stories and I was reflecting about um, some of our early years of marriage. Um, a Christian um, had to leave her current job um, and uh, work as a classroom aide uh, at a school. And you know, we were so desperately in need for health insurance. My employer at that time did not provide health insurance and Kristen were willing to do whatever we could to take care of our family. Kristen, even though she had a master's degree in social work, she was willing to be in that classroom as a classroom aide just so that we could get health insurance. That year, she didn't have any vacation. She was paid by the hour. We had very little, but we trusted God. And God provided for us. The Old Testament makes a call for all of us that we were called to give 10% of our income. That is the standard set by the Old Testament. And when you turn to the New Testament, the formula shifts a little bit. The theology of money changes from just giving 10% to knowing that all that we have comes from God. Yes, giving 10% of your income, uh, the New Testament says that's basic. But can you give more? So today, I want to ask us this question. I want us to take a leap of faith. Maybe 10% seems scary to you for those who call Mount Hope your home. Are you, could you take one step further? Could you maybe start with 3%? Could you start with two if you've never practiced generosity? And maybe for some of us, you have been giving 10% and you look around and you see that God is continuing to bless you. Maybe you move to 12%. Whatever it is, this is between you and God and no one else. Maybe you can increase your giving by $5 a week or 10. Or maybe you can start giving $45 a month. Whatever it is that you want to do, don't play it safe. Because Christian discipleship is not about playing safe. It's not about giving to God after all bills are paid. That is playing it safe. It is about trusting God and saying, God, I want to give you first. I want to place you first in my life and I want to assure you that God will reward you if you do so. The scriptures tells us we worship a generous God. Let us pray. God, we come before your presence knowing that you are a giver of all good things. God, even as we worship with you, 
with you this morning with our tithes and offering. We ask that you would bless these tithes to grow your kingdom. We ask all these things in your name. Amen.